The 2016 Cubs are the new 85 Bears, where we had one win, and I'm going to be 80 years old telling my children who are going to fight in the water wars about how we had this amazing run. <laughs> and they're going to be like, okay, cool. Well, the house is on fire, just like the rest of the planet. Too much gas from Aroldis Chapman. And too much Chicago Cubs comeback willpower tonight. You are listening to The Run podcast about the Cubs 2016 playoff run from Major League Baseball and from Odyssey. And at this point, at this point, Roy Wood Jr., we need to talk about the first series of 2016's postseason, the Cubs against the San Francisco Giants. And it was a nail biter. And later in this episode, former Saturday Night Live writer and co-creator of Chicago Party on Netflix, Katie Rich. She's a lifelong Cubs fan, and she's going to take us through her memories of the Giants series and just, you know, Wrigleyville culture in general. Hang on. I have a question for you, Matt. Now, you're the resident Chicagoan on this podcast. I know in the outfield, if you're in the stadium, you are a bleacher bum. Mm-hmm, and it's, have been for decades. That's what they've called them, bleacher bums, since the 60s, yeah. Okay, so then the outside is Wrigleyville, like just out on Waveland. So if you're in Wrigleyville, are you a Wrigvillian? Can you be a bleacher bum that is currently not in a bleacher? What are you referred to if you are a bleacherless bleacher bum? It's a good question. I think if you're just wandering the streets of Wrigleyville during the games, we call you a drunk, I believe is what we call Ah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I am familiar with that term. I have done a lot of research on that culture. All right, so Katie's coming up later, and she's awesome. But before that, let's talk about that National League Division series against the Giants, because the series itself was bananas. And at this point, at this point, Roy Wood Jr., the -hmm. regular season is over. The Cubs won 103 games. It's ridiculous. Nobody else won more than 95. They're the best team in baseball. That doesn't always mean that you win the World Series. Usually it doesn't happen like that. But we got like a four-day break before the first playoff series, eventually against the Giants, who won the wild card game. Four days, man. Idle time can do bad things. It gives you four days to think of how many different ways can it go wrong this year? Will it be the Dodgers and just ridiculous pitching Or can we even get past the Giants this time? I mean, they're not exactly a bunch of pushovers with some decent arms. And and they were good. This is the thing. The Giants had some magic. Like, they only won, like, 87 games, but they won the World Series three times in the six years before that. 2010, 2012, 2014. They were even-year wonders, and 2016 is an even-year. And none of those teams were necessarily dominant, but they were just good in October. Like the Giants were the team you always knew was going to finish strong. They just hit another level in September, and they play like a 100-win team, even though they only have 80 wins. They totally knew how to win. They had that feeling. We're like, all right, these guys know exactly what they're going to do. Bruce Bochy was a badass as a manager. They had Madison Bumgarner, who had shown he could win a World Series kind of by himself. Like they just, they had that vibe to them. You said idle time makes the Cub fan think that bad things are going to happen. Like, it's a matter of whether you believe in the curses, whether it's Merkel's boner or Bartman, but it's really, it's the goat, it's the billy goat. So uh, should we call it the goatometer or the goat-o-meter? And at that point, right at the beginning of the 2016 playoffs, where were you 
on the gotometer, Roy Wood Jr. If the gotometer is measuring my level of panic from 1 to 10 and how much dread I possess in my heart as a Cubs fan, gotometer is always sitting at about a 6 in general. <laughs> That's just the resting in, level of the gotometer. Yeah, just in general. Now, at this point, I am probably a 4 because we've gotten to the NLCS before. We've gotten out of this round before. So I feel like we still have a chance. And we have a Roldis Chapman. And this is why we got him for October. To bring him in and to watch him throw 148 mile an hour, whatever the hell. Might be a strike, might not, but you're going to swing out of fear. So there was a degree of guarded optimism that I had going into this particular series in spite of what the Giants had across the field. I think that makes all the sense in the world. So the gotometer sits at a normal resting six uh, of possibility of impending doom, but Aroldis Chapman theoretically can just bring that down one notch just Brought by being himself. That's the deal Brought with the down. KB yep. was having an MVP season, even better than what he did his rookie year, so yeah. The Chicago Cubs have been the class of Major League Baseball all season long. 103 wins, the top total in baseball. The Cubs begin their postseason journey tonight. So after four days off, it's time on Friday the 7th of October for Game 1 at Wrigley Field, the Cubs hosting the Giants for a best-of-five National League Division Series. The run begins. Game one, John Lester is brilliant. Eight innings, great. Javi hits a home run in the eighth inning against Johnny Cueto, and that's yep. all they had. Yep. That's all they needed. One nothing is the game. Johnny Cueto is terrifying, but Javi got him, and that's all they needed. They got him one nothing, and that was that. The quick pitch. That was the game where I'm like, okay, if San Francisco is going to steal one, it's going to be this one because Cueto's not a pushover, bro. If you told me before the game that Johnny Cueto would only give up three hits and throw a complete game, guess who wins? I would not guess the Cubs. You're right. So that that's a win. That, that win feels big in that way. You won Chapman on the night. comes in, does his mm-hmm. job. Bill Murray was there at, in the stands wearing a, a hybrid T-shirt. I ain't afraid of no goat. You got Mike Ditka firing up the crowd, saying it's time to play ball and go Cubs go before the game. Celebrities in attendance, and the Cubs take game one. Game two was even more cruising. My goatometer went down to a three. Damn, game that's two. Low. Oh, that's oh, big. Smelling so, like a sweep. After, smelling after like a sweep, dog. Cubs win it five to two, and you're smelling a sweep. The goatometer drops to a three. Even though Kyle Hendricks got hit by a line drive, but he ended up being fine. Your guy, Jeff Samarja, gets chased, gets rocked by the Cubs. They're up 2 nothing, going to Frisco with a chance to sweep this thing. Chapman 2 for 2 on saves at this point. And there is that strike. Got him in order. Fan 2. And these fans hoping... That when they see their team again, it's for the LCS, not for game five of this division series. Now, game three was a crazy one in Frisco. Yeah. Um, The Cubs beat up Madison Bumgarner. 
Jake Arrieta starts, pitches pretty well. He hits a home run. Arrieta launches to left, and it's gone! But then, Aroldis Chapman gets called on for a six-out save. And this is when you realize... Joe Madden is going <laughs> to lean on that dude like crazy, taking him way outside the comfort zone. Let me, let me just remind people, it was a big deal all year long. Chapman gets to Chicago. He could not get a four-out save all year. They were looking at eighth-inning stats. We're dissecting it every day on the radio. He blew a couple games in the eighth. Eventually, he was just given the ninth inning clean for like the last six weeks. That's all he was asked to do. Just go get the ninth. So the fact that he was asked to get six outs here in the playoffs was a big deal, and he failed. That was not a good feeling. Yeah, nothing like a two-run triple in the bottom of the eighth to get a team re-energized during an elimination game. And that's the last thing you want the Giants having is momentum, which is exactly what they had going into game four. Now, game four, dog, go to Amateur, about an eight at this point. About an eight, because that game was not going well. Like, I would even argue that we stole game four to clinch. I don't think we win game five. No, I I think you're absolutely it's right. T- with Cueto again in game five? You don't mm-hmm. want to see Johnny Cueto twice, Mr. Three hit in game one. You don't want that two times, dog. After game three, when the Giants won it in extra innings, they had won 10 straight elimination games. Like the Giants as an organization. <laughs> so this vibe, this like even your this magic. This is what we do. Oh, they they do not lose those games. So you're like, oh, here they go. So game four, another elimination game. And they're up five to two in the ninth inning. They know how to not lose. Do the Giants. The goatometer is is climbing like crazy. It feels bad. And somehow, someway, the Cubs score four runs in the top of the ninth to win that game six to five. Back up the middle and through. Rizzo scores. Here's Sobris, and the Cubs have tied it here in the ninth. Big hits by Contreras and Baez. It also included a little bit of dancing between Madden and Bochi in the way that Contreras even came up to the plate in that inning because originally it was going to be Chris Coughlin who was going to pitch it, and then Bochy, oh, you're going to bring in Coughlin? Well, I'm going to bring in Will Smith. And then Madden was like, oh, you're going to bring in Will Smith? I'm going to bring in Wilson Contreras. Boom, single up the middle. Yeah, man, you're right. So there's like four different pitchers in that inning, and Madden looked like he outmanaged Bochy. It was like, oh, we got a smart manager now too? <laughs> now, after that game, because we had been in a corner – And we fought our way out of that corner in the top of the ninth. Oh, bro, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Goatometer, back down to a six. So, Roy, game two of that series, I brought my son, who at the time was four years old, to Wrigley. And they won that game two. And he's in my arms up way too late singing Go Cubs Go with 40,000 of his closest friends, obviously. And then later in that series, he's supposed to go to bed and he knows it, but he's like, I want to watch the baseball game with you, daddy. (laughs) Totally using me to stay up late and get some bonus time. And he was awake as we're watching that comeback in game four. And he, 
he jumped up after they won that game and he saw Chapman coming in and he started going, Cubs, go Cubs, go. <laughs> like he half remembered the song, but not in its entirety, but close enough. But I was looking at him like, man, this is how a fan gets born right here. You stay up late, Isn't you break the law. You know, in that gr- you ever get jealous of young Cub fans who don't have the burden of the last one hundred something years weighing on their soul and decades of losing and heartbreak and coming close but never getting it on their soul. I, I, I it's a burden I wouldn't wish on anyone, but I also kind of feel like you didn't earn it, kid. <laughs> Coming up next, a diehard Cub fan's perspective who happens to be a hilarious person. Former Saturday Night Live writer Katie Rich on the Giants series and Cubs and Wrigleyville culture. You are listening to The Run. So I think that it's important that we explore the world of Cubs fandom from the perspective of people who were actually there along the way in 2016 because you know because i wasn't i'm i'm a fan but i'm a fan from another another time zone so yeah i can't just waltz down to wrigley and get your tw- what is it what is it 40 dollar general admission at some point for the bleachers oh regular yeah. season it's 80 now so i think it okay, was like 60 something <laughs> like that i don't know but you're right and i was i was oftentimes above it not you know not uh not emotionally but literally physically up there in the press box area so we need to talk to somebody who was down on, on the ground yeah. with yeah. the peoples who do we have and can relate we have Katie Rich the former weekend update writer for SNL the co-creator of Chicago Party Ant On Netflix. Hi, Katie. Hi, it's so great to be here. I also have some complicated situations, too, with this series, along with Roy, because I was at SNL during this run. And so I was, like, going back and forth between New York and Chicago. Seriously. You are, like, for the people who don't know, my perspective is limited to The Daily Show. At The Daily Show, we go home around 7 p.m. You get to work at 9, you go home at 7. It is a regular thing most of the people that i know at snl they don't go to work until like 6 p.m and then they are there until mcgriddles are served at mcdonald's in the morning i commuted back and forth anyway when i was at snl i still had my place in chicago so that's how much of a chicago person i am that i never fully lived in new york so when we had weeks (laughs) off i would fly back Sort of like the Italian daughter whose parents own a restaurant, like that's all she's ever going to do. That's how I am like with with Chicago. So I even had this beautiful opportunity and I would come back every week um, to the city. I was lucky enough to have to work with such amazing and uh, patient people who realized how much this meant to me, especially our head writer, Pete Schultz, who's a huge baseball fan. And so um, I was given quite quite a bit of leeway. In fact, I didn't even have to turn in jokes after the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> wow. They realized how important it was. And how drunk and incoherent the, the <laughs> jokes would have been. <laughs> I don't know. I think Trump's fat. Uh, what else? Yeah, Who cares? The morning, the morning of Game 7 of the World Series, Trevor Noah looked at me in the hall, and he literally said, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. Oh, and it was see? nine o'clock in the morning. You and had was, a good boss. And I was like, well, you know, this is the show. And, and I don't know. 
I've, I've only been at the Daily Show a year. You know how it is. First year at the new yeah. job. You don't want to screw it up. I'm coming to work. Roy, leave now. Please leave. Leave now and go to. He said that to you? Yeah, not in that accent. I'm always fascinated with how people become Cub fans. Was it just, is it, is it family ties for you? I was um, born around 80th and Pulaski. That's where our, our house was. So we're very, very much Southsiders. But my dad had eight brothers and sisters and the oldest lived in Logan Square. And so he was a Cubs fan. And so because of that, we were all Cubs fans. So you would think by proximity, we should be Sox fans. And we're not not Sox fans, but we're definitely um, pretty diehard Cubs fans. I feel like a lot of Cubs fans treat the Sox like the liquor they normally don't drink. But if that's the only thing the bar serves, they'll drink it. That's what's happening 100%. right now. That's and exactly that is what's, what's happening, happening right now. Because I'm at a wedding and they ran out of vodka. So I'm drinking white wine, even though I hate it. <laughs> so did you identify as a loser? Like, you know, like, did Settle you spend down? That's yeah, a little, it's a little rough. Uh, but those first couple of decades of your life, if you liked the Cubs, they did not really like you back. It sort of shaped who, who you are and your philosophy on the world, which is like, eh, it's, it's never going to work out for me. And even if it does, there's a catch. But but it doesn't stop you, right? In that way, it's sort of like cynicism ends up being uh, a driver in, in that way. You which, almost work is, harder. The other thing, too, about having like such a loser team like the Cubs is it's sort of like how how no one can say anything bad about your family except for you. Like I can say such horrific yeah. things about my brother and just what a loser he is and how much I hate him. But if one of you said anything about him, I would – Come over there and crack you in the throat. It's Animal it's, House. You can't say that about our pledges. No. Only we can say that and about our pledges. And it's kind of like that with the Cubs, right? So, like, we can be like, yeah, they suck. They're losers. But then if our Yankees fan says it, you can't say it about our team. Okay. So, now let's turn to the Giants series. The Cubs have the best record in baseball. They got the best offense. Chris Bryant is kicking. Jake Arrieta is slinging that ball. Were you optimistic about the Cubs winning this series? I think there was definitely a guardedness about it, for sure. You know, being up 2-0 doesn't mean anything to the Cubs in a series. It doesn't mean anything to us at that point. It was like, we can blow it. This could be the Padres all over again, you know. Even when we win a series, I'm like, I don't know. I, 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 there's a, They'll find a way to blow it somehow. So then to that point, were you excitedly watching... Once we got to October, well, all right, so I'll preface it with this. In my home, with me and my partner, I can watch baseball in the regular season on the big TV. We have one TV in our house. But if she comes in and wants to watch something, I let her have it. I pull up the app, the MLB app, and I watch the games on the laptop. That's fair. But, but in October? No, honey. Yep. The TV is mine. That's DVR, fair. whatever, real housewives of wherever the hell you're going to watch. Fair. You're going to watch it after. The, and I watch every pitch. I try to be as motionless as possible. When I'm at work, I try. I'll rewatch the game. I don't do the 30 minute. I don't do the recap, the little five minute. No, I want to see every pitch. Are you that into it? Yes. Once it gets into October? Yes, very much so. So a couple things. One, I was lucky enough to be able to watch these games at work a lot of the times with people who understood. For example, we would be watching one of the games and one of the writers would get up 
to move. And like Pete, the, the head writer would be like, um, actually, oof, you might have to sit there for the rest of the inning just because they're doing good. And I know Katie's going to want you to stay like like he knew that I was an insane person. Oh. The first game of the, the Giants series which, by the way, we, you know, we had the best record. We weren't supposed to lose that series, right? Like, we, I think we felt pretty good about it. So that first game was on a Friday. So for us at SNL, Fridays are usually fun, like at Weekend Update. That's when we would do, like, our joke reads, like all the stuff that we'd put together. And Colin and Che would come in, and it was fun. And, and we would be like, yay. And so now we know what we're doing tomorrow. So I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to do our joke reads. I'm going to have a couple cocktails. I'm going to get to watch this game, blah, blah, blah. And then the Access Hollywood tape dropped from Donald Trump. Oh, on the bus totally to grab him by the... The, the mm. grab him by the vulva or whatever he said. <laughs> and this was the first time in since I had been working there that we had to literally scrap everything. So Full rewrite every the single day thing, before the show. Every single thing we wrote was gone. Oh, and so and all you want to do is watch the damn game. All I want to do is have a couple cocktails and watch my boys. And um, oh, no. and That's so cruel. I actually didn't get to watch that game oh, because of that. That's the first playoff game. Of I, didn't the get, run. I didn't get to watch it. That's the only reason I didn't vote for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only reason because I couldn't watch that game. So Otherwise, then, uh, he was my guy. So then when you can't watch the game, are you one of those fingers in your ear, la, 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 don't spoil it for me. And when no. I get home, so, I'm going to. No. So I'm one of those on the bubble of getting fired because my Xfinity app on my phone doesn't work, this, that, and the other. So I'm watching the the play-by-play analog pitch, you know, on the MLB homepage. Oh, the homepage little color graphic with thing. With a little, yeah. like, it's a strike. <laughs> it's a you know, like that's yeah. what I'm watching. You're, you're basically watching someone play in television baseball. I'm watching Coleco Vision. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm watching. I'm watching Pong and um and having more of a reaction to this game of Pong than I did at my wedding, right? And it's um, a nothing nothing game. Yeah. For eight innings, it's yeah. a nothing nothing game. So that's how I experienced that that first game. And another thing that was so funny was so Dave Chappelle was hanging around uh, SNL a lot because he was going to host. And um, and and Dave, he likes to, like, get the lay of the land, I think, before yeah, he does catch something. the vibe of something, yeah. For sure. So he was there. He was there. So Dave Chappelle is, like, a big part of this playoff run for me because he was always there. And he was, like, always hanging out with Che. And, and so, like, I would see him and – and um. And I don't, I don't exercise. I'm not like a active person. Like if I get a cold, like my nose doesn't even run. And, um, <laughs> but I was so like pent up with like nervousness that I would like just like run around the hallways. And, and at one point Dave looked at me, he goes, cause I'm in all Cubs gear. And he's like, I gotta be honest. I don't envy you at all. Like, I don't envy what you're going through. <laughs> and I like looked at him and I was like, thank you. I was like, but you know, there's people with cancer. Like if, like if I don't, like I'm going to be okay. But, um, <laughs> but it's funny that he, he like, he was there for all of that. So it was pretty crazy to also get like Dave Chappelle's perspective of what was going on. Well, you got, you, you got Dave Chappelle empathy for your Cubs <laughs> baseball stress. Dave Chappelle felt bad for like crazy little white woman running around the halls in her like Cubs jersey was like, man, I feel really bad for you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks, dude. 
Game one is on a Friday night yeah. when you're busy doing rewrites for Weekend Update because the Access Hollywood tape just dropped. Yes, so sir. game two, game two is a Saturday night yes. as you're doing what? Getting ready for SNL. What's your experience of game two where the Cubs thankfully took a lead and held on to it? As we're doing this show itself. So that felt a little bit better. Um, and I, I was actually able to watch that game on my phone. Um, but I just, I, I don't think I was that good of an employee. So you're nice. a bad employee at Saturday Night Live because you're paying attention to the Cubs. That is the coolest job that anyone has ever blown off to watch a Cubs game for. And then the next game was obviously Monday, so I was actually able to be in in Chicago for that one. So you're in Chicago, but they're in San Francisco, and that's the one that they play deep into extra innings late right. into the Chicago night. 13. Where did you watch the game? I was just at home. I can't like be sometimes with other people too. I would, I would rather just like be at home because then I have control over my environment. I have control over if I'm standing or sitting or what I'm drinking or what my husband's doing or, you know what I mean? Like I feel like I have control over and it. You can hear the announcers. Yes, I can hear the announcers. I can hear Joe Buck talk about how he hates the Cubs and wishes it was the Cardinals. Even though he doesn't <laughs> say that, we can all hear him say that. Um, Love you, buddy. And so so I was just at home. You would think I'm watching a child's game. I'm watching, like, my beloved team in the playoffs of a child's game. And it, it's not fun. Like, it's very stressful. <laughs> um, but that's when Arietta hit that home run. So that was, you know, that was pretty badass. And that was really exciting. But then, of course, yeah, that went in deep into the Chicago night. And they um, lost. And, and they, they lost. lost. And then game four, they're in deep, deep trouble. Yeah. They're, they're losing in the eighth. They're losing in the ninth. And you are, are you thinking about how game five might be that pitcher again? Might be Johnny Cueto. Cueto. Yeah. yeah. Might be Johnny Cueto. And like, if the Cubs don't win this, then they're toast and it's going to be them blowing it again. Like oh, they always here have. Here we go again. They'll a figure thousand, out a way. A thousand percent. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, great. Here you go. But then when they start coming back in the ninth, you're just like, oh, oh, this is kind of magical. This is a special group of people that things are maybe going to happen for. And so it, it did give me a little sense of like, oh, I think this this actually might be kind of cool. These weren't the losers that were going to be OK being losers. So you say game four Cubs Giants is when you finally were able to accept a drop of optimism in your soul. As a Cubs fan, the smallest trace, trace amounts, trace amounts. You would need a PCR test to see. <laughs> a rapid, t a rapid test would not have detected my hope, but a PCR test would. Katie Rich, you've spent a lot of time at Cubs games and hanging out at Wrigleyville where the Cubs played. So you're the perfect person to help us understand Cub fans and Cub culture. Let's start with the bleachers. I've never sat out in the bleachers, been to a million games at Wrigley, never been out in the bleachers. What's it like out there? There's rapid sunstroke, so you have 10 times more likely to be dehydrated and probably have alcohol poisoning. Um, it's definitely not what it was where it was like, you know, $3 to get a bleacher ticket. Now bleacher tickets are really expensive. I think one year we paid like face value was like $100 and it was like, what are we even doing? 
But there is a, I think there is very much a different culture because the, those bleachers have a, a history to them, right? That's where the people who were unemployed that Lee Elia was yelling at in, in 1983 used to sit and, and just get drunk during the day and, and scream at the team. And so that was sort of like the um, groundlings pit in Shakespeare. You know, that's where you could get in and, and, and be a part of something without without paying as much. For decades, that bleacher culture was a thing. And there are still yeah. people, I know people who Absolutely. still like, they, they have single season tickets in the bleachers the singles because they just show up and that's their community those yeah. are their people but it always has been there was a play bleacher bums right that joe mm-hmm. montagna and, and others were a part of and of All that late, they, late 60s early 70s bleacher culture I, I think every generation of cubdom thinks it was cooler of course. Right. It, it, it's it, like it, SNL. You everyone thinks SNL sucks when they get older. You thought SNL was the best when you when it was taboo for you to stay up that late and watch it. SNL was the best when you were at the age that you didn't quite understand it, but you knew you were a part of something cool. See, that's, that's a really good parallel because the same I, thing. there are people who say that the best version of baseball is how it was played when you were 10 years old. Yeah. Like that's, that's purely it. And that's the best version of SNL was when you were what, 13 or 14 and staying up too yeah. late, not allowed yeah. to? Yeah. Jody I'll, Davis will always be my king. And it's like, no one knows who Jody Davis is. You know, my favorite who? Cub? <laughs> Carl Tuffy Rhodes. 1994, three homers opening day against the Mets. The Cubs will be unstoppable. And we finished last in the NL Central, 16 games out of first, and we lost 65 games. What about Turk Wendell? Remember, remember Turk Wendell? Turk uh, Wendell yes. wore the puka shell necklace and refused to step on the first baseline. Is that the brush your teeth guy between innings? He yes. was the guy who yeah. had more, and he had more like superstitions than anyone. He's probably... I, I think he has a crippling mental illness, which we all thought was adorable and fun. Because in baseball, your mental illness is just a superstition. But um, <laughs> he should have been medicated. But uh, I love I, I loved him. I remember like loving him. So um, so I lived in Wrigleyville in like the nineties because I'm old like that, and there was it was filthy, just oh, it just was purely filthy, and there was vomit. In a lot of places, there shouldn't have been vomit and garbage all over the place. And I feel like now Wrigley is like that for a three-hour period from, like, the seventh inning until three hours after the game. And then they quickly clean it up, right? But it used to always be like that. Image. It's like how nobody can die in Disney World. Like, if someone dies, they just, like, move them outside the park, and they're like, oh, they didn't die here. I feel like that's how Wrigleyville has gotten. <laughs> I mean, even when I was working there in the early 2000s, it was like that. It was a little bit better, obviously, but it was it was still like that. It was disgusting. Okay, so then the vomit is proof that there are still certain types of people there at these games. Walk us through the different types of Cub fans. I generally end up at a Cubs game next to the guy that's keeping score. Oh, I love him. Or it's a fa- yeah, but he doesn't talk, and I try to make small talk with him, and he won't talk back because he's focused on the game with a stupid short pencil. <laughs> get no, a long now you pencil. don't even get a little one. Now they do give you the big ones. Is he bringing his own golf pencil? Okay, he has problems. He's, he's got problems. His, it's Turk Wendell problems. It's Turk Wendell. <laughs> Who else am I missing out on by not exploring the different armpits of the stadium to watch a game? Basically, it's two people, right? There's the people who are there for baseball, and there are people who are there for the beer garden. And yes. 
And you either fall in one of those two categories, or depending on how the game's going, you fall into both. The Venn diagram kind of overlaps, right? There's the women who wear heels to games and wear, like, the jerseys that are pink and not the actual colors of the, you know, of the team. You're going to have the person who's 97 years old, literally, and is there and has been there forever. And it's usually a woman because women live longer. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of just drunk whites. There's a lot of drunk, drunk white nonsense that's going to happen. There's going to be families who have spent too much money um, and really want their children to enjoy the game, but the children only care about the ice cream helmets. I'm trying to think of a tactful way to say this. We can edit it. Uh, no, we shouldn't, <laughs> because I'm an, I'm, I'm an adult and I stand on what I say. Good job, Roy. In this world of profiling... Yes, sir. I have made the mistake... At, a, at Wrigley, or just any old person wearing a Cubs hat, just asking them where my seat is. <gasps> and I know that's wrong. I like. I don't. How dare you? It's not an insult. It's a compliment. You're as old as the stadium. You know where all the seats are. Do you know where I'm going? And they don't even get offended. They just. They're they probably so happy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, this way, young man. Yes. They feel a sense of ownership. And yeah. you have now anointed them as one of the keepers of the stadium. I am a lost new cub fan. Come with me, black guy. I will show <laughs> you the treasures. It's such a warmth that I've never felt at any other stadium. Well, this is the really? thing about, uh, about, about cub fans and about ball games. It's like you can start a conversation with anybody. You're, yeah. you're allowed to talk to absolutely anyone about what is taking place before you. It is, it's the best social lubricant going right now, isn't it? I think so. I mean, especially now that we haven't even been around people for so long, you know, we've gone to, we've gone to a couple Cubs games and the games have been terrible, but we've, We've actually the worse the game is, the more fun you're going to have with the people around you, I think. And we met so many we've met so many cool people. We met this family that was there and there was like a little girl who just thought I was the coolest person in the world because I like liked baseball. And she was like, I like baseball, too. Not a lot of girls do. And she was like, they should have us manage. And because they've been so bad, you, you like are forced to make your own entertainment. And in a way, like <laughs> you make all these connections in that stadium. Katie Rich, formerly of SNL and now the co-creator of Chicago Party Aunt, streaming right now over there on Netflix. Thank you for being here, and we have enjoyed talking to you. It Thank was you, so Katie. fun. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so Roy, that this is a moment. Where And I'm really interested in what it was like for you, who's working at The Daily Show in the midst of a crazy <laughs> presidential election, which is coming down to the wire. And you are, of course, this deeply passionate Cub fan locked in on the playoffs. For me in Chicago, the Cubs was far and away the number one story. Like the election was there and it was happening, but... We all escaped gleefully and stressfully to the Cubs. Like, that was enough stress and intrigue and drama 
for all of us. And we didn't like the election was like, oh, well, that's that's crazy. But nah, I'm sure that'll all be fine. The Cubs are you, in the World Series. All right. This is really what we got to worry you about. You know why I think that is, though? I think that was because everyone thought Hillary was going to win. The election was high drama, but you knew how that was going to end. So thank goodness there's something far more interesting going on. And, you know, I felt optimistic about it because LeBron had just done the impossible earlier that year mm-hmm. with the Cavaliers. If I'm not mistaken, I came back from 3-1 against the Warriors. Yes. So I was like, this is the, this is the year of weird stuff in sports. So maybe this is the, oh, my God, but what if it's just the city of Cleveland's decurse year? So it was that back and forth. Um, I'd say in New York City, there definitely wasn't the same buzz about baseball. It was an interesting thing, but the Cubs had failed so much, you just assumed they were going to lose. It was the, the, the fate was assumed. So, you know, me, I'm the only Cubs fan in the office. I mean, daily shows in New York City. So it's just all New York loyalists and a couple of, you know, errant Dodger fans who are, you know, West Coast transplants. And it really it really was all about the election with one eye on the Cubs. I think you me. make a great point that nobody really thought the election was going to end the way it did. No matter, like, where you were on the spectrum, I think most people were like— all right, well, that, that's been a crazy ride. And there's another crazy story today, but in a week, that'll all be swept away. You know what I mean? Like, we all expect it to revert. The 24-hour news cycle. Remember when the news you got in the morning, <laughs> that was the only news for the day? Like, that's it. 8 a.m. Yeah. Hey, there's been a thing that happened, and we're going to talk about that all day. Now, 8 a.m. happens. Then 12 p.m. happens. Then at 5 p.m., there's Access Hollywood Sex, audio, explicit, Trump, Billy Bush (laughs) chit-chats, and then there's Hillary emails, like this, all types of stuff, just scandal after scandal after scandal that I thought made it hard to follow baseball on a regular basis as a person who had to be first invested in politics. Well, see, that that's that's your role. That's fascinating. So, And my gig at the time is broadcasting every day on a 50,000-watt sports blowtorch and— making sure I know who's ready in the bullpen that night, making sure I know exactly what Kyle Schwarber's doing in Arizona. Is he really taking swings? Like, I'm locked in on those details. The Mm -hmm. ultimate escape. But that's what sports has always been anyway, right? And I think Chicago was doing that, and maybe Cub fans, wherever they were, like, if they had the chance, you can just escape from everything. And it's apolitical. At its best, you got to... A clubhouse full of people who might disagree on politics, disagree on all kinds of stuff, but everybody's got the shared common goal. It's a it's a beautiful equalizer in yeah, theory. Even in the stands, even in the stands, it's that, you know, you are hundred percent are around people that in a normal social public transit or the grocery store setting, you probably wouldn't speak to. Like not in a rude way, but just I'm less inclined to speak to strangers when I'm outside of a sports arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but and, in this arena, it was, like, commiserating. Like, it was warmth amongst – like, I already knew you. Oh, God. We're friends. How you been, old friend? What do you think they're going to do tonight? You know, that that's getting me oddly emotional. Well, maybe not oddly, but, like, because just genuine – 
compassion and kindness and warmth and accessibility with strangers, which has become very, very difficult, is is really very possible in the midst of a massive sports moment like we were living in that final week before the election. It was probably one of the last moments, honestly, where I feel like strangers talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore now. Huh. In fact, if your hat is the wrong color, somebody might curse you out from behind and then you turn around yeah. and then they go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that was a Cincinnati Reds hat. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, I was looking for block letters on the front of that red cap. Is <laughs> <laughs> that a blue hat? Are you Biden? Oh, oh. Cubs alt hat. Okay, yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah, no. right. <laughs> Good to see you. Is that a Cincinnati Reds hat? That's perfect. <laughs> but the truth is you can't keep politics and the real world and these bigger issues completely separate from sports. And for a lot of people in 2016, even as good as the Cubs made them feel, there were a couple things that made it more complicated. For one, you have a lot of liberal Cub fans, Chicagoans and otherwise, who came to learn that the Ricketts family were big-time Trump supporters. But that was a little later that that people actually found that out in full, I, I suppose, or at least became conscious of it. During the run, namely, it was Aroldis Chapman who had some awful domestic abuse incidents on his very public record and not that far in the past. And still, Theo Epstein and the Cubs brought him in because, well, he can throw 104, 105. But for a lot of Cub fans and people watching from the outside, it was a real moral trade-off. And I know some diehard Cub fans who to this day still have that little kind of moral and emotional asterisk when they look at that team in the whole season. It was definitely a trade-off. And I honestly think in the bigger scope of sports, if we zoom out wider than just baseball, I think there's a bigger issue with morality over winning, you know, at the end of the day that I think a lot of GMs like Theo are going to have to deal with. But I really think that that's something that eventually, and it's already starting now, thankfully, and I think that's a good thing if we look back on the last five you know, four or five years of sports in America, there's definitely been a shifting of the tide when it comes to balancing the morality of a mediocre player or a good player. But if he ends up being a cancer in the locker room or cancerous to the fan base, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I, but I, I think I think what you're saying really resonates with me, though, because there is a childlike idealism where you want the team you love to also be full of good people. And sometimes we can believe that and it feels true and you kind of ignore signs that you might acknowledge later. And then every once in a while you get a turd thrust directly into the punch bowl and you cannot pretend that it's all full of good people. And you have to you have to reconcile that on the fly. And that's what we all had to do. I can't wait until next episode. We get to talk to the architect himself. Theo Epstein. Yeah, the whole thing starts when Theo Epstein arrives uh, late in 2011, and you realize this is going to be different, and we need to get his perspective on what he had to change to even get us to the point where 2016 was possible. Yeah, well, it's going to be good to talk to him. Oh, he loved 2016, and, and that'll be coming up next time on The Run. The Run is a production of Odyssey in partnership with Major League Baseball. 
Jody Avergan of Roulette Productions is our executive producer. Justin Kaufman is senior producer. Mixing by Joanna Ketcher at Nice Matters. Our theme song is a cover of Steve Goodman's Go Cubs Go by Chicago's very own The Hood Internet. Special thanks to J.D. Crowley and Mike D. at Odyssey and Nick Trotta at Major League Baseball. Mitch Rosen, Dustin Hapley, and Russ Matera and everybody else at 670 The Score. Also to everyone at Odyssey and Major League Baseball who helped make this happen. And special thanks to Frank Castillo and Andre Dawson's Jerry Curl. Not Andre himself, huh? Not Andre himself. Just... He's cool, but that Jerry Curl was glistening, man. Gotcha. Get a Jerry Curl in Chicago. It's like three different climates. It's winter, summer, winter. <laughs>